Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Nathan Oblak. Welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation. I'm Nathan Oblak, and I'm joined here in the Knox Cellar by Ryan Aris. And today we're joined remotely by Dr. Joe Boot all the way across the pond in the United Kingdom. Joe, how's it going over there? It's all good. St. George uh, is still uh, still slaying the dragons, and uh, I'm having a uh, I'm having a good time in uh, in England here in London right now. Good, yeah, good to hear. And uh, you know, we, we, we were just watching the news story of uh, an anti-Trudeau protest uh, the other day, preventing him from getting into his meeting with Boris Johnson. We were wondering how you organized something so quickly. <laughs> Gosh, if I'd have known about it, I'd have been there. That's <laughs> uh, really too bad. You genuinely hadn't heard about that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Just, just the other day, a couple of days ago. Okay, yeah. splendid. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, we have our... We have our uh, our contacts, so we threw that together quickly. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Pulled up in some horse-drawn carriages and blocked the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, very Downton Abbey. Uh, well, and uh, on today's podcast, we uh, we hope to get back to our discussion of reformational thought. We put that aside for for several weeks now, but before mm-hmm. we do, uh, I just wanted to mention again the uh, H. Evan Runner International Academy coming up June fifth to the fifteenth in Golden. British Columbia, and uh, this this is our training program for students and young professionals in their 20s and 30s, and we, as I mentioned last week, still have six full scholarships to the program. Whoa. Uh, yeah, so... it's pretty uh, good. Yeah, and, and we haven't... We, we've had one inquiry uh, thus far. So again, just All to right. be just to be clear on that, these are six full scholarships to the program. So if, if you have any interest in joining us in Golden British Columbia... Uh, please send us an email at uh, info at ezrainstitute.ca. And uh, th- there's no harm at all in making an inquiry. So just send us an email and you, you may be uh, one of the six that uh, receive a full scholarship to the program. And again, that's, uh, you know, 12 days uh, out in the Rocky Mountains in British Columbia with all the speakers living and staying, uh, you know, at the same accommodations you'll be staying at. And uh, it, it's a wonderful time. And uh and, 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 uh, yeah, we, we hope you apply. We, we hope you'll join us there. And, uh, the other, the other thing I wanted to mention that's coming soon is our mission of God conference that's coming up on May the 21st. And that's here in the Niagara region, just down the road from our study center. And this year we're discussing utopianism versus the kingdom of God. And, uh, yeah. Have you guys noticed any utopian ideas floating around as of late? I'm not sure. Somebody sent me a video of some uh, <laughs> some World Economic Forum the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah someone with a tinfoil hat. Perhaps. Must, must have been right. <laughs> so you can buy uh, you can buy tickets to that conference now if you go to ezrainstitute.com. And of course, last week I mentioned that uh, we we've made the move to a dot com for our website, and how that's just a small part of our our bigger plan. Uh, as a ministry. And the bigger plan being um, really to sum up is our expansion uh, of our training beyond the borders of Canada. And uh, really one of the, there's several reasons we've decided to do that, but one of them being the sales 
uh, of our resources has exploded uh, internationally uh, over the past year. And uh, over the last two months, um, particularly, we've, we've sold more resources uh, than any other point in the history of this ministry. And uh, Joe's book, The Mission of God, has just continued to fly off the shelves. Mm. And uh, again, those, the bulk of those copies really are going to the United States. There's many being sold to the United Kingdom, and we're continuing yeah. to sell many uh, here in Canada. We sold something to Finland that's right. That was a first. Yes, right. Oh, I think so we've mentioned uh, Bjorn That's on the right. program That's uh, right. previously. Yeah, we appreciate you. you a distant cousin in Finland, Ryan, uh, that, you, that you told to buy one? Oh, probably. <laughs> to, uh, I told you that in confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to be ashamed of there. <laughs> so, yeah, for that and several other reasons, we're we've made the decision to expand uh, as a ministry and, and do our very best to meet the demand that, uh, that we're getting from, from countries uh, other than Canada. And uh, you know, Joe, that's uh, part of the reason why you're over in the United Kingdom right now. And I wonder if you could comment a little bit uh, as to uh, what you're up to over there uh, as well as our future plans uh, to expand as a ministry. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's good that you've um, taken a little bit of time to just uh, introduce people to uh, what's happening uh, more broadly with the Institute. We've been kind of wanting to share this with people for a little while, and we've been uh, sort of waiting for the right moment to, to, to share some of the growth plans for the ministry. Um, but um, as you've said, uh, what we found is that, uh, especially in the last couple of years, is that there's been demand. We're, we're based right now in Eastern Canada, in Ontario, as most of our listeners will know, uh, but we've been receiving a lot of demand for our training programs in Western Canada and uh, for quite some time in the USA. And uh, our resources and uh, not just our podcast, but as you said, our print resources, our other digital resources um, are in growing demand in the English speaking world, I think is probably the best way of expressing mm. it, you know, in mm, the yeah, Anglosphere. Right. Mm -hmm. And um uh, although we, of course, are very grateful for those in Finland and everywhere else. And, oh, Australia. Do they speak English? Yeah, yeah they a lot do. of Australians. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, relatively <laughs> speaking. No offense to my Australian brothers and sisters there. Um, but uh, in, uh, in Australia, we're seeing a lot of um, uh, interest too. And mm -hmm. so uh, as we are sort of evaluating as a ministry how to, um, how to handle that, how to grow into that, um, We've got the very big news, and uh, this can be seen at EzraInstitute.com now. If you uh, look on the drop-down tabs, you'll see that there's a tab now for locations mm -hmm. because we will be opening um, new offices of the Ezra Institute this year um, in the United States and the United Kingdom. So uh, we will actually be based in three nations now, not just Canada, but uh, the U.S. and the U.K., and we're, we're aiming for, we're hoping for, and it looks at the moment like we're on schedule, which is encouraging um, for, for these to be opened by uh, September this year. Um, and that will mean in 2022, um, we'll be opening up uh, training uh, in the United States. Um, certainly, I would imagine we'd be running a, a, a Worldview Youth Academy and in all probability, a Runner Academy, an International Academy for Cultural Leadership right. in the United States. By, by 2023, right, Joe? 
Sorry, I meant yeah. 2023. Right. Yes, I beg your pardon. Joe's aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, he's got a goal and he goes for it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're so far ahead. It's going to be yeah. So 2023. Thank you for that correction. Um, I just don't know where the years go now. They're just mm-hmm. flying by. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be uh, we'll be rolling out training there, and we're also building um, partnerships for training in the United Kingdom. I'll say more about that uh, in the months ahead, mm-hmm. um, as we're. But I'm here in England right now um, on ministry. I'm speaking, um, uh, meeting with various leaders, and uh, discussing um, training partnerships in for for, um, for the Ezra Institute. So. Uh, these are all exciting developments, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we we already have our journal Jubilee uh, going all around the world. We're seeing our resources going around the Anglosphere uh, in particular, and um, and of course the Spanish speaking world because we've seen and we've had a number of uh, translations into Spanish of mm-hmm. uh, a number of our resources, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we're looking forward to launching actual in person training now in the in the UK mm-hmm. and the US. So. Exciting times for the ministry, and who would have thought it? In some respects, seems like um, on the one hand you could look at it and think this is the most unlikely time for growth after <laughs> right. the restrictions and and uh, limitations of the last couple of years. But for us, I think as we've discussed, you know, in person a great deal over the last twelve months, as the cultural pressure has ramped mm-hmm. up on the church, as we've seen the growth of utopian and totalitarian ideals and ideas. Um, and as we're seeing more and more Christians wrestling with and struggling with how to respond mm-hmm. to this cultural moment, um, we're seeing a, uh, I would say, a, a relative growth then that, uh, that's um, uh, sort of co-relative to that in terms of the interest in, in our ministry, because we are uh, an organization, uh, a, a ministry that speaks specifically about uh, gospel and culture mm-hmm. and uh the implications of a biblical world and life view and what it means to actually think through the implications of the Lordship of Christ. And we analyze what happens to cultures when uh, Christ is rejected and denied. Mm-hmm. And so um, in a certain sense, the, the, the relevance, the potency, the, um, the power of what we're trying to share with God's people has been highlighted under more extreme cultural pressure. And I think that's been God's goodness and grace to us in, in um, seeing what some, many people have often thought of as very much a fringe interest, you know, who, mm. who really cares about worldview and cultural <laughs> apologetics uh, has suddenly become much higher on the agenda of many Christians. Right. Yeah. Thanks for that, Joe. We're certainly thankful for all the things you're, you're mentioning. And just on the topic of resources, um, a lot of people are inquiring about uh, Joe's forthcoming book, Ruler of Kings. And, and Ryan, I wonder if you could provide us with a bit of an update. Yeah, that's right. So uh, th- thank you to uh, to the many hundreds who have pre-ordered uh, this book, uh, Ruler of Kings. Uh, I'm very pleased to say that uh, the update I have is that it is now in print and we expect to be mailing that out next week. So those are, uh, mm-hmm. those are being printed and shipped and we've got, uh, we've had a proof come in. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. There were some, uh, some errors with the, uh, the first printing mm-hmm. and that was, uh, that accounted for one of the, uh, the most recent and lengthy delays, but that is now, uh, coming in, uh, any day now. Mm-hmm. So thanks, thanks a lot for your patience. 
appreciate your orders and your interest. We will get that out to you just as soon as we can. We've got uh, got an assembly line of uh, of staff uh, geared up to uh, to get those packed and shipped and out sent mm-hmm. out to you. Right. We've got several to send out to Connecticut at this point, don't we? That's right. Yeah. 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 Got a... Uh, they really picked big, up the slack there. Oh, yeah. Big bag full to send to Connecticut. That's right. <laughs> and don't forget to expedite one to your cousin in uh, Finland as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll get to, I'll get to you, Bjorn. Oh. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, with that, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll transition to our, our conversation for, for today. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned right off the top of the, the show, we'd like to get back to um, uh, our, our really overarching theme for this season, which is Christian philosophy, reformational thought. And uh, I thought, Joe, right at the beginning here, you could, you could um, lay out for us uh, really the place of Christian philosophy, because, of course, a lot of the pushback uh, we get is, you know, philosophy, Christian philosophy, reformational thought. These are all distractions from what should be essential, which is the gospel. And really, you know, philosophy, that's for the intellectual elites. This isn't something that's practical for 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 everyday use. So I wonder if you could you could just uh, get us back into the conversation with some commentary on that. Yeah. So, I mean, a way to sort of a reminder, yeah, bring us sort of back to uh, back into the conversation is um, that uh, worldview and philosophy are are related um, uh, areas of uh, of life or disciplines. Um, they're not identical. Um, philosophy uh, as a discipline is concerned with, uh, in reference to the 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 ultimate origin and an idea of, of, of law for, for creation. Philosophy is concerned with the relationships that exist between all the various aspects of creation and um, worldview concerns the, the sort of religious foundation that um, shapes and forms um, all of the disciplines, whether philosophy or history or uh, that any of the natural sciences. So I think the reason for, um, for one of the, the 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 sort of misunderstanding that you've described there, Nathan, in part, is that um, we forget too easily that when we come to the Bible and when we come to Christian theology, um, we do so uh, nurturing a whole set of presuppositions that are philosophical in character. Um, and uh, we don't come to the, the scriptures as blank slates, and we don't come to the study of theology as as blank states, but we do so in terms of an overarching worldview, and in terms of various um, philosophical um, structures of understanding um, that uh, that guide our uh, theological discipline or any other discipline. So this is why uh, you know philosophy uh, and worldview are actually so important for the Christian, mm-hmm. and um, they it does concern certainly for the reformational tradition. You know, I remember, uh, I think we've told this story before how um, one of the staff, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, at the Institute, we had a visitor one day, they were just on campus for a bit in, uh, in, in Ontario. And um, they said, uh, oh, I'm not sure about all of this worldview and philosophy stuff. I mean, you know, what does that have to do with being born again? Mm-hmm. And uh, actually everything, it has everything to do with being born again, because from the reformational tradition, that grounded as it is in scripture, uh, it is 
regeneration, regeneration or palingenesis uh, as a technical term is absolutely at the root of everything we're talking about and everything that we're doing. Um, it, the, the new birth is, you see, a, a Christian worldview is not a theory. It's not a, it's not a set of theoretical axioms which um, we can then uh, proceed to do, you know, various sciences on. Um, it, it is, I mean, you know, if, if it were just a theory, then the devil uh, could do brilliant uh, Christian theology, truly, genuinely Christian theology, and he could do generally, generally, uh, generally, um, genuinely Christian uh, sciences. Uh, he could, uh, every apostate individual um, could simply take the theoretical principles and then go ahead and do genuinely Christian work. But we know that's not the case um, because uh, we're not talking simply about um, uh, theories here. We're talking about the new birth, regeneration in Jesus Christ at the root of our being in the heart. And because it's in the very root of our being, it redirects absolutely everything, including the labors of our mind um, and all our intellectual activities. Mm. So this is critical because a worldview has to issue from that religious root of the heart. And then it influences our entire perspective on life. So it's not limited to one area or another. If, if it wasn't about regeneration fundamentally at the root of our being, then the Christian world and life, you wouldn't actually affect all areas. It would just affect this bit or that bit that we happen to apply a theory, the theory to, but we can't reduce it to a theory. Uh, because that would fundamentally reduce Christianity to some kind of pseudoscience. It's not a pseudoscience. It is about regeneration. So you can't do valid Christian worldview thinking or Christian uh, philosophy uh, as truly as a Christian without new birth, without regeneration. And I think it's important that we remind you know, our listeners all of the time that this is not some theoretical abstract discipline for intellectuals over here. Um, this is about the, the new birth in Jesus Christ, regeneration, the root of our being, affecting every aspect of our lives, including our thought life. And that means the foundational questions of worldview and philosophy that shape all these other and give, uh, give direction to um, these other disciplines. Um, because we can approach the Bible either from a Christian worldview perspective or a secular uh, perspective and so on. So we know uh, as Christians that the only true way to approach Scripture is from in the grip of a genuine, genuinely Christian world and life view. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you approach the Bible with any other um, framework, uh, that's not derived from scripture. So if you come to scripture with uh, a worldview, that's not thoroughly rooted in the Bible itself, uh, communicated by the Holy spirit creation for redemption. And then if we come to scripture again with, um, a philosophy, that's not, uh, that's sort of a synthesis between paganism and Christianity, then actually, no matter how good at theology we are from a theoretical point of view, we will mishandle scripture. Mm -hmm. The first thing we have to do is exegete our presuppositions. And uh, that's what Christian worldview and Christian philosophy helps us do. How, how are we coming to these various areas of life with a thoroughly 
uh, scriptural world and life view that surrendered to the word of God and in the root of our being through regeneration, the Holy Spirit has done something in us, has transformed us so that we can love God with, with our heart, mind, soul, and strength um, uh, consistently and faithfully. And uh, that really, in a certain sense, is the mission of the, um, of the Ezra Institute. We're trying to love the Lord our God with all of our minds mm-hmm. out of the root of a regenerated heart so that our worldview and philosophy, as we take hold of the, 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 the message of Scripture, that it's applied and interpreted faithfully to all of life. Mm-hmm. Joe, uh, just along those same lines, uh, the the word philosophy uh, translated means the love of wisdom. Uh, as as you've said, uh, our goal is to love the Lord our God uh, with all of our minds, and it's uh, we you've you've said several times on the program that uh, the reformational tradition, the reformational thinking, uh, situates uh, the core of the human person in the heart. And it seems like, seems like no accident that, uh, this talk of love and of the heart are all, uh, connected in terms of our, our pre-commitments and our presuppositions. I wonder if you could just comment on the, the nature of love in terms of the, the orientation of our heart, uh, in terms of how we, how you, how we discern our philosophy based on what we love and what it means to love? Well, the, the fundamentally love isn't, uh, and of course, when we speak about the heart, we don't just mean the, our emotions. That's right. Uh, as you've said, we mean the root of our being. Um, and, uh, love to God ultimately is about putting God first and rejecting every form of idolatry. Anything that would uh, be put in the place of the uh, the Creator, anything that would uh, vie for the uh, a greater attention in our lives, that would vie for preeminence in our lives over and against um, the Triune God and His Kingdom, um, would constitute idolatry. So, love to God is actually expressed fundamentally, according to Scripture, in terms of obedience to His law word mm. um, and a total surrender to Him so that his laws and norms for all of creation and for every aspect of our lives um, are at uh, the center uh, of our thinking, the center of our feeling, of our doing. That what we long to do in every area of life is please the Lord. And that means paying attention to all of his law, every aspect of uh, uh, creational norm that he has established. And that's how we express our love and our devotion uh, to the Lord. And of course, that affects not just our intellect, it affects our emotions, it affects every aspect of our being. So it's not a, a dull, dry, arid, uh, and uh, cold sort of intellectualizing of the faith. It's, uh, the, it's this rootedness again of the heart in Christ. And uh, uh, because of regeneration, we long, it becomes our delight, our desire and delight to obey God's word, obey his law word, and seek to bring our lives and all of creation into conformity with it. That's really what it means to love the Lord in terms of how it's expressed in all of life, but perhaps especially as we're reflecting on reformational thinking, reformational philosophy, and Christian worldview. 
um, even when we give an apologetic as we defend the faith, it's out of our love and devotion to the Lord and our desire that all of creation would be the theater of his, of his glory, that all of creation would be brought into conformity to his word and would be reconciled to God. So that's the motivating force. And and just to add to that, Joe, I know just reading Doiverd, he speaks a lot about, you know, like Brian mentioned, the orientation of the heart, and it's either oriented toward God or oriented toward apostasy. So of course, when mm-hmm. he when he's talking uh, along those lines, there's no new no room for neutrality of any kind. The, the heart can't be partially oriented toward the Lord. Did you want to expand on that uh, a little bit? Yeah, uh, there is. Um there is a tendency to think that, uh, and, and maybe we can explore this a little bit further later on, but there's a tendency to think that maybe we can have part of life for the Lord, um, church and our religious uh, spiritual disciplines, and maybe our, our, uh, our, uh, family life perhaps. Um, but the rest of life, uh, you know, we recognize is governed by, you know, secular reason and, um, natural principles and things that everybody can agree on and so forth. So we wouldn't dare try and Christianize uh, the culture. Um, and uh, the, the, it creeps in this notion that there might be these religious neutral principles, uh, secular principles, I should say, that stand next to the Lord so that the Lordship of Christ and the authority of his word is very much sequestered within the life of the church and within the limitations of a of one's personal spiritual disciplines, but doesn't flow over um, into every aspect of life. However, it actually says in um, in his uh, book Reformation and Scholasticism in Philosophy, uh, and I, I'm quoting now. He says um, to reduce this worldview. He's talking about the biblical worldview to a theory would represent a great danger to the entire community that. It binds together spiritually, but then it would lose its concrete and immediate vitality. It would become pseudoscience. It would withdraw into an ivory tower of intellectuals. It would gradually lose touch with its vital religious root and die. As soon as a worldview loses its grip on life in its entirety, its adherents become spiritually uprooted. People then strike out on their own in every sphere of life, and they lose spiritual contact with all other spheres. The fundamental religious driving force of one's entire life posture, which demands the full commitment of one's person, then degenerates into mere dogmatic formula. People might discuss this in a pseudoscientific manner, but it no longer lives in the religious depth of their hearts. And uh, I think that sums it up beautifully. That um, if you if it doesn't if it doesn't have its grip on life in its entirety then people strike out on their own in other every area of life and we get this idea of you know neutral neutral principles of thought um and uh uh you start to lose actually a genuinely radical christian world and life view and and that's i think where we've where we've come to in the the culture today is um the radicality of the Christian worldview has has been steadily surrendered. Uh, it's been it's been largely lost. I was listening to a um, uh, an interview this week. It was quite interesting uh, with uh, a doctor, uh, a um, 
uh, a leading doctor who was actually making quite an interesting statement um, and, and actually issued an apology to the uh, authors of the Great Barrington Declaration These were, and those that supported them. These were the doctors who opposed lockdowns, draconian restrictions, and advocated for uh, measured um, and uh, uh, a careful protection of the most vulnerable. Um, I forget the exact expression they use now. I was, uh, I was just trying to think of it. It'll come back to me, but, but essentially they, what they proposed was that you let society and life go on as normal, but you protect the most vulnerable. And, um, for that, they were really pilloried by the majority, um, in, um, media and, uh, in the, in the, in the public space. But this doctor was saying that, uh, and the way he framed his apology, he said it was a bit like this for him. He said that when in that first sort of wave, uh, the, uh, he was, you know, fearful and he was seeing um, people uh, who were struggling with illness and some were dying um, and he was troubled by it and concerned by it. Uh, he said he kind of had this sort of myopic view. He was so close to the situation as a doctor on the ground that he was missing the wood for the trees. And he gave this very interesting illustration. He said it was like going to the cinema and sitting on the front row. And uh, being on the front row, if you've ever been, you know, you're late and uh, you, you get the worst seats. The worst seats are actually on the front row because you're so close to the screen, you can't actually see the whole movie. Mm -hmm. um, and you're having to dart your eyes left and right just to capture what's going on. And... Um, uh, I thought that was an interesting illustration that he he missed what was really going on because he was so close to one particular aspect. And uh, I think for many Christians, even we're so close to one particular aspect, even when we're devoted to the Lord, we're, we're, we're very, very close to, say, let's say our church life. Mm -hmm. And we want to serve well there. Yeah. And we want our faith life to be strong. But without the fullness of a, of a, of a Christian world and life view that gives us that perspective, gives us that sense of appropriate distance um, so that we can uh, really uh, take a, uh, a broad, take in a broad vista of the biblical world and life view. It's easy to miss what is really going on and we become myopic and our vision becomes truncated uh, and we start to lose a full sense of how the word of God and the gospel applies uh, to every aspect of life. And I think actually some of the cultural pressure, some of the problems, some of the uh, limitations on freedom, even conflict right, right now in, 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 in between Russia and Ukraine and what's going on in Europe, these are all things that are unsettling to people. Um, and it forces people often out of their boxes out of, um, and, and they start to think about life in terms of the big picture. All of this pressure on the church has made people think just less, not just about their um, personal prayer life, but what about the life of the church and its relationship to the state? What about my employment, my work and its relationship to government? What about the claims of the kingdom of God? Uh, what about um, what the Bible has to say about war and conflict and how we respond to it and so on? So these things have sometimes a way of us uh, to, to force us to think just like this doctor, hang on a second. Maybe I missed something here. In all my being so close to the immediacy of that particular situation, I didn't see the big picture. So that's really what uh, what worldview is helping us to do. And hopefully um, we can do that uh, 
increasingly consistently as we're faithful to the word of God. Mm. It implies, of course, uh, a um, this, this central command of love in the Bible implies that uh, in its integral meaning, implies that this is our entire attitude to life and thought. So this is what we have to, to get home to people again and again. It's not just about church life. It's not just about your personal life. It's your entire posture right. to the totality of life. That's the, um, that's the fundamental um, reformational principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've, uh, worldview is actually, we, we've been on about worldview here at the Ezra Institute almost since day one. And we don't get tired of it, but uh, but there is. So I I have heard the objection that oh it's kind of reductionist to sort of bring every matter back to the issue of worldview. But you're saying, I mean, world worldviews can be right or wrong, and most of us have probably got a mixture of both in there. But it's more than just our biases and commitments. Like this is the entire structure. Through, uh, through which we process reality, and we couldn't, we couldn't function without them. It precisely. So, yeah, I think when some people hear the term worldview, they just start thinking about um, worldview studies. So, uh, okay, let's analyze this religion, that perspective, right. reduce, reduce, uh, reduce various belief systems to the, some some fundamental components, which of course has value and and can be done. Um, you know, one of our fellows, Dr. Peter Jones, you know, famously talks about oneism and twoism, um, which we've explained before the way you can actually, uh, analyze the various religious perspectives or worldviews in terms of the, the creator creature distinction, the transcendent God of scripture and his creation, uh, on the one hand, uh, or one is that's a twoist view or a oneist view, which collapses the concept of the divine uh, and the, the the world into one, and so um, I think some people think, well, you know, okay, that's um, that that's uh, an important thing to do, uh, but let's not reduce every question to the issue of worldview. Well, that kind of misunderstands the point that's being made here. Mm-hmm. Um, world and life view, as you've said, is the the all encompassing reality that in the grip of the what Doivert called the ground motive of scripture, we come back to that frequently, the creation, fall, redemption, consummation in the Lord Jesus, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, um, that, 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 that reality is communicated to us in the word of God. And then it's communicated to Christian people by the Holy Spirit. It's not a, th- it's not a product of the science of theology. It's the reality of God's kingdom that's communicated directly to the believer through the word of God by the Holy Spirit, upon which all our theology and our philosophy and so on should be done. So worldview actually provides the lens, it provides a framework through which we rightly come to the word of God and uh, then deal with every single aspect of life. So this is about wanting to make sure that we deal not we're not reductionistic, that we deal with every aspect of life in its entirety faithfully and from a truly and robustly scriptural perspective. So we're not simply talking about uh, kind of narrow worldview studies. Let's have a, uh, a, you know, a few sessions on reducing various beliefs to um, a few propositions so that we can analyze them. That's valuable. It's important. 
Um, but no, this is about doing justice to the fullness of the meaning of the Christian life in all its aspects. That's why that's why we come back to it. That's why it's so important. Um, Doivert actually says in his Reformation and Scholasticism, he says, if anyone approaches scripture from another religious ground motive, not even the most extensive theological knowledge of scripture will protect him from using scripture in an unscriptural manner, end quote. This is why this is why uh, the, the ground motive, the worldview of the Bible is so vitally important, because if we don't have it right, we'll actually misuse the Bible in all these other areas where we're trying to apply it. So uh, we don't want that kind of degeneration to, to occur, and, and therefore for us to lose a grip on the fullness of the meaning um, of, the, of the gospel. We could talk about you know, one one peculiar way as an illustration of, of of how this can happen. We've talked a bit before about the impact and the influence of um, uh, Greek philosophy on the development of theology. Uh, and um, if we think about something as seemingly rudimentary as a Christian anthropology, you know, the human person, when we think about the human person, who are we? Um, what's come down to us in a lot of Christian theology is a sort of radical dichotomy of body and soul. Mm. Um, and we've taken the words of scripture and interpreted them in terms of Greek philosophical presuppositions. Mm-hmm. So the, we often talk about the form matter scheme of Greek thought, uh, these sort of dialectically opposed um, or over and against one another, principles of form and matter. And that kind of thinking comes to its apogee in, in, in Aristotle. Um, and uh, the, the way in which this tended in, in, in Greek life to create these higher and lower stories uh, of reality, the ideal, um, the uh, truly spiritual, contemplation, intellectual life, and how that worked out and how they thought about society uh, and uh, who should be ruling society, the philosopher kings and so on. Um, And the way in which many of the Greeks thought of the body as a prison for the soul, for the the higher part of the the human person. And whether or not, uh, you know, we take a Platonic idea or an Aristotelian idea uh, of um, uh, of the human person and soul substance and all of that is not really material. The point is that um, men like Thomas Aquinas uh, were tasked with interpreting uh, the um, Greek philosophers, in particular Aristotle, for the church. And it led to a, um, uh, a sort of attempt to synthesize these Greek ideas with Christianity and one of the things it did was gave us this sort of re- very radical body soul uh, distinction. Um, and uh, uh, I think we've touched on the idea before as well of um, uh, the way in which the question of how human beings uh, became sinful is God, you know, creating individual sinful souls and dropping them down into material bodies and so on. Um how, what does it mean as we think about um, the human person and we think about the inner man, the outer man, biblically, body, uh, our bodies and our souls? How do we understand that? Do we understand this as an integrated unity um, from a scriptural perspective? Or do we think more of the soul uh, escaping the body, human beings, Christians escaping into heaven? Um, and once you've got that fundamentally wrong, 
uh, once you've got a, uh, a a sort of artificial body soul division rather than the integral unity of scripture where the human person is looked at from various angles um from different perspectives like looking at a jewel from different angles but as a whole so you know we can read in the psalms and in the in the poetic literature of scripture that you know we read things like in the bowels of mercy and david talks about his kidneys and uh, his 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 body is is hungry for the Lord like a deer panting for the water. His soul longs after the Lord. So these are different ways of looking at the unity of the human person. But just in this one area, if we get uh, the human person wrong mm-hmm. as a unity created by the Lord, um, then we start to create actually all of life gets separated into different domains. So the soul becomes for the, for the spiritual aspects, the church, uh, our spiritual disciplines. Um, uh, that's the really important part of life. And we, and the soul is going to heaven, but the body gets associated with the material world, with law, with, um, culture, with things that are allegedly lower, with our lower desires, with human sexuality, marriage, and so on and so forth. And then we start to get everything wrong. We start to misunderstand the entirety of the biblical message Mm -hmm. because we've actually come to the word of God with a paradigm, with a worldview and a philosophy that's been synthesized with Christianity and then misleads us as to what's um, uh, true, what's really real about a, 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 a truly integrated truly authentic Christian life and thought. Mm -hmm. That's why this is just um, so critical. Even things like common grace, um, when we, you know, we we often hear, don't we, that uh, because you then get a a separation of reason and revelation. And we're we're told that the, the natural sphere, the secular sphere, that's the arena of common grace, but special revelation um, and special grace, that's for Christians in the church. Well, there's an element of truth there in that um, special grace regeneration is of the believer, is of the Christian, uh, in the root of our being, transforms the totality of our lives. Um, But um, that cannot be detached. That special grace and special revelation cannot be detached from Christ and creation. So the body-soul distinction ends up tending to drive a wedge between creation and redemption that leads us to make serious mistakes in our thinking. Mm and we. Uh, uh, fail to recognize that um, every aspect, every part, every element of our uh, of our lives um, needs to be uh, surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Common grace only becomes grace uh, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this this unity of creation and redemption. Because if you're outside of Christ, that common grace actually just becomes curse and judgment. Mm-hmm. Common grace is about the holding power of God's law word. It's the holding, it's the way that God's word prevents human beings from following out the principle of sin and apostasy, apostasy to its fullest extent, truly consistently in every aspect of life. God's word holds us. Think about it just as we've gone through these last two years. Despite all the mistakes, all the errors, all of the nonsense that we've seen from governments and from so called experts. The holding power of God's world again and again embarrasses 
all of our pretensions. Mm-hmm. It rejects our, it throws, it, it overturns our reductionism always, mm-hmm. just like this apology of the doctor I was talking about. So that common uh, creation grace, if you will, only becomes grace in Christ through redemption, because outside of Christ, it's just common judgment. It's common curse, right? It becomes judgment to us. God's testimony in creation through his word is merely judgment in our lives. And so um, uh, we cannot drive a wedge between creation and redemption in the way that the Greek ground motive that influenced Christianity and shaped the way Westerners thought about Christian theology has done driven that wedge between creation and redemption and therefore a higher and lower and impacted the way Christians think about uh, the Christian life, think about culture, think about all these other things. And this is why we need this integral renewal of thought at its root, Uh, not simply a synthesis where it's um, where really Christianity is the icing on a secular cake. Uh, And I think that is what's at the root of why we come back to this again right. and again and again and again, uh, that if we go wrong at the foundation, if mm-hmm. we go wrong at this level of the fundamental motive of scripture, mm-hmm. um, we, we end up going wrong everywhere. Right. And everything you're, you're highlighting there, Joe, is something we're trying to consistently point out to people and that our ministry is not simply about theoretical intellectual exercise. We, we, we're trying to help people identify and confront idolatrous thinking, idolatrous, idolatrous thought, uh, enabling them to live obediently in every area of life. That's, that's what we're about. Uh, we want to see people live obediently and faithfully. And of course we do as well here at the Institute. And Joe, just, uh, as we wrap up here, I know you wanted to take us quickly through Psalm 90. Uh, and, uh, why don't you do that quickly before we sign off for this week? You know, one of the things we've said is that, um, that the the fundamental ethos, the fundamental motive force, the fundamental uh, ground motive, it's hard to find a, a better word. The thing that really shapes and drives the Christian life uh, that's communicated to us by the Holy Spirit through his word is the reality of the kingdom of God as is expressed in creation, our fall into sin and ruin, God's judgment and justice in that and our redemption in Jesus Christ and the consummation of all things. And um, this is not a, uh, a theoretical construct. And I was reflecting this week on Psalm 90 and the way in which Psalm 90 itself uh, actually gives us and, and, and outlines for us this, this, um, this motive of scripture, this, this fundamental worldview of the Bible. And uh, I think it sort of comes in in three sections. We can touch on them really quickly. Um, Verses one and two speak about creation. Verses three through uh, 12 really are are teaching us about, or three through 11 are teaching us about uh, the reality of the fall. And um, 12 through 17 are really uh, uh, giving us a glimpse of redemption and um, the work of God the redemptive work of God in history through his people. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought we could just uh, look at it quickly and make a few comments. Maybe Ryan can read uh, the first couple of verses. I'll read the second section and, and uh, and you read the third Nathan, and we'll just break to comment briefly on each. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. 
So here's Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Yeah, so it doesn't need much explanation there. But as you look at that, it set out absolutely beautifully because creation is set in terms of uh, our relationship to the Lord. The, the mountains are pictured as being born. The earth is pictured as being birthed by, uh, by the word of God. And you have the creator-creature distinction from eternity to eternity. You are God. So before there was the anything, there was the eternal God. So there you got the foundation of creation. You got the creator-creature distinction. You got the transcendent God and, uh, and his creation. Um, and that, of course, immediately sets the Bible apart from pagan thought pagan philosophy, which collapses uh, the creation and uh, any concept of the divine into one. And then uh, in verses three following, um, we read, you return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. For in your spirit, in your sight, I should say, in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our unjust ways before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. And um, you can see there, verses 3 through 11, um, the, the curse on man, human beings returning to the dust, God saying to man, return to the dust. This is because of our sins that are in uh, before his presence, our secret sins in the light of his presence there in verse eight. And it's like we are like grass consumed by God's wrath and God's anger. And uh, it's, uh, the psalmist says you end, it's, it's, of course, it's the, it's actually this Psalm 90 is the, uh, is the prayer of Moses. Um, and uh, so it's, it's wonderful to think that this, this came from the lips of Moses uh, and he acknowledges that um, our life is like the grass. It's here one minute, it's by the evening, it's withered. And this is because of the wrath of God, the anger of God. And as such, we sleep. It's a very interesting expression, actually, in verse five, you end their lives, they sleep. And this is again about the, the um, unity of the human person. You know, I, I sometimes... Um, a note that uh, when you when you attend typically a, a Christian's funeral, you will often see things on the on the service sheet like um, so and so went to their reward on such and such a date. Uh, but that's actually wrong. The, the Bible doesn't say that when we die as Christians, we're going to our reward. The rewards aren't handed out until the last judgment. And this is the influence again of Greek thought on our thinking that uh, somehow um, the the sting of death is that death isn't really the last enemy, as Paul calls it, that somehow we're, we're actually, when we die, we're escaping uh, the curse of the lower world of the earth, of the body, and we're escaping into a better life, and we've just gone to our reward. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The, 
the Bible tells us that death is the last enemy. When Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. And his, those weren't crocodile tears. That was genuine grief. He was angry. The Bible says he was both angry and he wept because of the reality of death. This is the, this is the wrath of God on sinful man that Christ came to bear upon the tree. He came to bear that wrath so that Christ, who Paul says, is the firstborn from the dead. Remember that, right? That's critical. He's the firstborn from the dead. So he's the firstborn over all creation, Paul says, and he's also the firstborn from the dead. So there you cannot, you see the unity of creation and redemption in scripture. He's the firstborn of creation. I'm in Colossians 1 now, I think, um, and 3. He's the firstborn in creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. We will follow Christ out of the grave. So it's the, it's, that's, that's the goal, the destiny of the Christian life is resurrection. And so it's very interesting uh, the way um, the psalmist describes you end their lives, they sleep. And I'm not advocating soul sleep. That would be another Greek concept. Paul says, you have died and our, lives are hid to, our life is hid together with Christ in God. That's a mystery. What that means is a mystery. The, when the, when, the, when the, the saints die in scripture, uh, we often read the words, and they were gathered to their people. And when Paul talks about... Uh, uh, Christians dying in Corinthians, he talks about them um, falling asleep in the Lord. Mm-hmm. So there's a picture of death there. It's a metaphor of sorts. And we know that our life in its, in its, in its root is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We're safe and secure in Christ. Mm-hmm. But we mustn't try and do away as Christians with the curse of, of death. It's totally appropriate to weep at a funeral. Uh, it is not a blessing to die. It, the psalmist makes clear it's part of the curse, and death is the last enemy that needs to be defeated. It's the last one. And I think because of the influence of Greek thought, and this is where, again, worldview comes in so important, we've tended to think almost of death as blessed release, blessed escape to a better place. That's not what the Bible says. Mm. Um, and so the the final part of the psalm uh, we go, so that's fall. And then we get to redemption where this is all meant to teach us something. Teach us verse 12 to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. So the root of our being wisdom now, as we reflect on creation and the fall, and then uh, Moses prays, how long Lord, how long turn and have compassion on your servants and then satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love or your covenant love. So this then is about fundamentally redemption so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us for as many years as we have seen adversity. Sorry, Nathan, you should be reading that. Why don't you read us for 16? You're doing so well, Joe. (laughs) Read 16 and 17. Sure. Okay. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So you get both this idea of God's faithful covenant love, his turning to us in compassion, turning our our griefs into rejoicing, that we'd be glad all of our days, and and, uh, God's work being seen by us and our children. So there you have the covenant, the nature of the covenant, 
you and your children. And then the favor, the grace, the favor of the Lord doing what? Establishing the work of our hands. And what's that? That's kingdom work, the kingdom work of our hands. So in that single Psalm, you beautifully in that poem, that prayer, you have the scriptural world and life view. Uh, you have the story of creation, fall, redemption, and then the the consummation of the work of our hands in the kingdom of God in a single prayer from Moses that I think helps destroy these false dichotomies, this dividing up of reality into various terrains, various domains, where one part's for God, the other's for ourselves. This is all-encompassing. It's comprehensive. It's every aspect of life. And uh, it doesn't try and escape or skirt around the reality of wrath and the curse and death. Uh, but it makes the, it, it, it makes prescient the importance that God established now in history, the work of our hands. It's important. The work of our hands is important. That's what the favor of the Lord is. When, when the Lord's favor and grace is on us, he establishes the work of our hands. What is that work? It's kingdom work. And, uh, I think this is a, just a good example of how you don't need to be a philosopher. You don't need to be an expert in worldview. This reality of, of regeneration of the kingdom of God is communicated to the believer through the word of God by the Holy Spirit. And uh, you don't need to be a profound theologian to understand it. It's right there. And it's fundamentally about the work of God in us, in history, undoing the work of the curse and establishing the work of our hands for us and our children. And that's why we're passionate about worldview and Christian philosophy at the Ezra Institute. It's about real life. Mm -hmm. And yes, we know that some days it gets a bit technical. <laughs> and we know that some days we're wrestling with um, uh, concepts and ideas on the podcast as well uh, that are sometimes difficult for us to grapple with. And, and sometimes they're difficult, guys, because we've been so influenced by mm -hmm. ground motives, worldviews that have been synthesized with Christianity that it's confusing to us. It, it, it's new. It sounds different. Um, and, uh, and sometimes that's hard because it, sometimes we need our, we need our minds rebuilt a little bit. We need uh, to be transformed by the renewal, by the renewal of our minds so that we start to see every aspect, all of life in terms of Christ creation, redemption, and his total lordship. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, thank you so much for that, Joe. And, uh, thank you for joining us from all the way, uh, across the pond. Uh, it's, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're certainly continuing to pray for you and your work uh, overseas and, and praying for your safe return uh, back to Canada next week. And uh, that's, that's it for this episode. And uh, we're very thankful that you uh, have continued to listen to the podcast and continued to support our ministry. And be sure to check out our website, EzraInstitute.com, for a list of our books and training programs and conferences. And this has been the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute, reminding you that from him, through him, and to him are all things. To God be the glory. 